drink enough coffee for this show or any coffee anymore mark oh really yeah i can't drink coffee high blood pressure <clears throat> i miss it well, my tea my my you know. tea. so if i that seem is. a little flat on this podcast <laughs> i'm giving my excuse right up front oh my god what crazy person told you you can't drink coffee anymore uh because it Raises blood pressure. So? So? What's the worst thing that's going to happen with high blood pressure? Well, I might have a stroke. Might. Or a heart attack. Definitely. All right. A heart attack. That ain't no thing. You're dead. What I'm hearing is, you don't, you think the coffee might be, um, a reasonable risk considering the benefit. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, (sighs) so there's another layer and and that's that I actually enjoy feeling less tense. I don't hear you. (laughs) Wow. Obviously, there's a very significant difference between the levels of coffee between these two hosts today. (laughs) I haven't had my coffee yet. Here's my green shake. Oh, that is so sad. Oh, my God. Mark went drinking tea and green shakes in a Zen garden of love. Yippee. Uh, what happened to the outlaws? <laughs> Where have all the cowboys gone? Yeah. Did you ever watch Yellowstone? I haven't. I like Kevin Costner. He is a thug. He he is a solid actor. He just like he just brings such a solid performance to everything. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Postman's a great movie. Waterworld, despite Waterworld was panned horrifically when it came out. I loved it. (laughs) I thought it was fun. Mad Max was brilliant. Wait, that isn't the wrong guy. (laughs) Are are we talking about the same Kevin Costner? (laughs) I need coffee. (laughs) Apparently. What movie am I thinking of? Well, Dances with Wolves was brilliant, I thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That one he played. You know what? I even like the huge NFL commercial draft day. I thought he was brilliant in that. I don't remember that one. It's just this big, long NFL commercial. But it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I do remember it. He plays a, a, a coach, and he's dealing with the corporate. The general manager. He's the, He's general, the manager. general manager of the team, and it's draft day. Got and, it. Um, yeah, I did yeah. see that. It was relatively it was, forgettable, apparently. Not for me, man. I've watched pieces of it a lot. What's wrong? Are you in pain? I have a knee injury that occasionally... Maybe if I drank more coffee, it wouldn't hurt so much. Exactly. Now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. Coca leaves. Coca Coca leaves. I see this where you're going with this. Coffee's a gateway drug for you, isn't it? It is. Yep. I had a cup of coffee this morning. I'll be shooting heroin by eleven thirty. I sure hope not. <laughs> There's um my favorite thing was the hippie speedball. Oh God, really? Did you ever have that? Do you know what that is? Is that coffee and marijuana? Yeah. Mm. Both of which raise your blood pressure. Really? Marijuana raises your blood pressure? Yep. 
even nowadays with all the different strains and lab things they got going on? Uh, well, I don't know. I wouldn't say all marijuana. I mean, I'm not a scientist, but I know what I've read. Would you read it in TMG? TMZ? Pacific Sun. Yeah, I read, I read it on the Googles. <laughs> the Googles. Oh, wow, man, it's got to be real. <laughs> no, I read multiple things because I, I was, when I was thinking about my blood pressure and the fact that I don't use cannabis, I was wondering, like, well, was there something I was missing about my former cannabis use that was healthy for my blood pressure? And it turns out, no. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Does relax you though. What I do find works is super cold baths. Oh, so you went back in the pool this week? Yep. Every day. Ooh, really? Every day? Yep. That's amazing. I'm, I'm up to two minutes. Really? That's awesome. <laughs> well, and I think the Wim Hof guys are like, you should spend 15 minutes in the ice bath. I'm like, Dude, 15 minutes. Like I can see the the difference between one minute and two minutes is, is not that significant. Like once you get past that first hump, I think right. the difference between five and 10 isn't so bad. Right? Like, well, there's it, also you're moving around, right? Me? No. Oh, you just go in and oh, yeah. stay in? Ooh. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm trying to. I'm it's Wim Hof light. Because remember um, the woman who was a waitress at Mama's from the original uh, Spencer Mama's. That covers only like 10 people. No, but she was short and um, she was in the Dolphin Club in San Francisco. We're getting closer. She had Kim. She was very kind. And she stayed over when Candy bought it. She stayed, you know, with it for a while. Like her and Antoinette, I think, were the last holdouts in Candy. It was Candy. Since Obviously, school. neither one of us remember her name very well, but you remember her better than I. Darn it. Well, anyway, she once, I went to the Dolphin Club with her once and uh, swam in the bay, and it was cold. But once you got, you know, that initial yeah. shock because yeah. you were swimming. Yeah. So I know the feeling. Yeah. You go in and you just sit there. I go in and I just, I, I submerge and I, I try to float and stay in. So you tread water. Well, no, because I don't go deep enough to have to tread. Okay. It's kind of like semi floating. So my, you were working up to 15 minutes. Well, we'll see. Is that like a goal you have? I don't have a goal. Just to stay in as long as I can. Don't drown. <laughs> that's my yeah, goal. that's my goal. Don't drown. That's a good goal. <laughs> my goal is to get off BP medication is my goal. Yeah. Did you talk with your doctor about that? Uh, yeah, I not know, but I know the first stage is already without having to talk to him. Okay. Lose weight and your blood pressure medication, your blood pressure measurements have to go down. Like those are the two I, things. So when I radically changed my body type for three months, no white flour, no sugar, no salt. Was there more to that story? That's it. I'm just that suggesting that was how you turned the corner. That was a big piece of it. Yep. Of course, regular exercise. Yeah. Well, that's, I'm waiting for the knee to heal for that. And that's coming. I've been Here's doing my finger push ups. Yeah. Cause like I still work out, even though I've got this shoulder injury. So I don't do push ups, but I do a lot of other stuff. And I can do weights like this, you know, and curls. It's just for some reason, the push up strains whatever's going on in my shoulder. I think I did that too. I've got this thing that goes right down my bicep right here. So you can still do stretches and yeah. Chi 
I do that. I do do that. You could also now do no sugar, no salt, no white flour. Wow, you're right. Talk about addiction. Woo! Yeah, I got mine. Mine is video games. Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to watch video, you know, tonight or stay off the iPad or whatever. Oh, it's in my hands. I'm watching something, playing a game. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Tomorrow, tomorrow. I love. We have a theme for today's podcast. Yeah, and I've been sort of waiting for there to be a moment where they intersected, and I think addiction was getting close. And, um, you know, well, I have thought about this a lot. This is kind of a perfect peg off our Valentine's Day episode. Yeah, the Tinder swindler. Yeah, and online dating. Simon uh, Lefeyev or Shimon Hayut which is his, his actual name. Wow. It seems like he's going by Simon Levive. Like that's his yeah. actual name now. Um, did you see that he just signed uh, with a manager in Hollywood? A couple yeah, I was reading ago? up on this and he signed with a manager in Hollywood. He's got a game, a dating game in development. He's, you know, God, they want to do a podcast guy. with him. He's got like someone, the manager said in one of the quotes, he was an amazing salesman and there are two sides to every story. And I want to know what the other side of the story is. See, I think that's sick. That is sick. These women are still paying off these debts and they got swindled. And this fucking guy did a year in jail and came out, jumped into his Lamborghini and drove off into the sunset. The big F you. It's an interesting story because it, it mimics the story of, um, oh God, his name just fell out of my brain. Bernie uh, Charles Manson. Oh. Right. He was so charismatic, but he, and people, and people would do all kinds of stupid things for him. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing, cause I've thought a lot about this element of romantic love and we touched on it a little bit in the, valentine thing like i love to be loved i love to be desired i want to be desired i want someone to love me and to have that giddiness of joy like oh this is new like this is and also there's this element i was thinking of where in all my humanity like to be the beast of beauty and the beast where underneath is really this prince. And if someone could just see it and get through the surface elements, then, you know, the prince could be freed. Like, you know, if someone to see the real me and I'm transformed in that being seen, there's so much trigger in this romantic story. Well, there's a lot of dopamine involved, right? I mean, what you're talking about is right. And it's that's dopamine is TV advertising. Everything is based off of our uh, uh, dopamine responses. Feel good. Yeah. Green Um, drink and tea. It's so weird because there's this perception that somehow we're not supposed to be, you know, give in to dopamine. <laughs> right. Well, I don't not- know about that. I think we should recognize here's the thing. Well, there's so much, this thing's so back, but here, like this woman, especially the first one they start with in the doctor, hey, by the way, spoilers alerts. Like if you haven't watched it, you want to watch it. Turn this off now. Yeah. Or you'll probably um, want to watch it more after you listen to us talk. So either way. Maybe. Maybe. Hey, did you check out the podcast that I said? I got about halfway through it before I had okay. something else to do. Yeah, yeah. All right. So here I mean, she is. Like she's, you know, like shopping for apartments. Her dream has come true. And then it turns into a nightmare. 
I think the warning with dopamine is we've heard it in so many ways. Like don't believe everything you think, you know, like just, just because you feel it's real doesn't mean it is. And what is real anyway? Like it might be like for, this is the part where it gets interesting because for him, he's getting something out of it too. It's not just the dollars. But he, he's he's ultra addicted because he needs like lots of these women, not only to handle the monetary part of it. Right. But that's a big piece of it. But he actually is is like he's he's romantic. He's he likes the sex. He likes no, the attention. No. See, I think he may not. Eat, what he loves is living a billionaire lifestyle. That's what he loves. The the stereotypical trust fund baby of a billionaire and he creates it with other people's money and yeah it's like a um what do you call Don't it? all billionaires do that well <laughs> reminds me of mike's statement about the super bowl um, yeah but I mean, that's basically what what capitalism is. We're getting people to agree to stuff, but and they give us to, they get not, they get stuff for what they give monetarily. The difference is most billionaires add, it, don't do it under false pretenses. Well, that's the thing. If you advertise yourself as a gigolo, that's one thing. Right. That's basically what he was. Well, I don't think he was even that. He was. He was a con artist. He created a show and then with the appropriate awareness, like there's even that woman who isn't sexual with him. You know, they're just like best friends and he got her money, you know? And, and it is like, there is a part of me that's so vilified or I don't know if that's the right word. Just like, I think the lowest of the woman with the two-year-old child who was conned before and then ends up pretending to be his ex-wife and like, ah, sick. It's funny where our judgments land on this. Like one of the things that I, I noticed was it's easy to judge him and then it's easy to judge the the woman you're talking about, his the mother of his child or supposed mother of his child. Like we don't even know if that's right. true or not. Right. Yeah. And then well, we know she was conned by him. Well, and we know that there was a child in the video, but that doesn't mean, right. right. I mean, God knows. Right. But the, some of the things I've seen from what I will call the toxic mimic of masculinity are the dudes who are out there saying these women got what they deserved. Well, it's not just dudes. There's male and female out there saying, right. you know, gold is, digger. You right. Got, and, yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. to me, where my mind went was like, well, for me and for a lot of men, when presented with my checklist of all the things I would love in a woman, I'd be like, all right. Right. Like I would get that dopamine hit and I'd be all in. And, you know, we sort of figure that that, uh, I might invest money in something like that and, you know, spending money on a woman like that, spent that like creating a lifestyle. We, there's all kinds of situations where women date wealthy men to have the access to the kinds of luxuries that they want. And so one of the weird dichotomies of this story is that the women also want the lifestyle that goes with him. And that's the big attractor. Like they swipe right because they see all the trappings of that. And and the male equivalent is like, I'll just like big boobs or whatever. Right. I mean, so we all are are any of us innocent in this? Like, no, that's part of. Yeah. yeah. But man, it's oh, it's a tough road to hoe if you start arguing about like that the women aren't victims. Right. Because they are. You know, they're manipulated and he's lying to them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. But with a sugar daddy and a buxom blonde, there's probably like an agreement there. But I think no one's getting swindled. Is. Yeah. 
Hugh Hefner and the 22 year old knew what was up. <laughs> Which one? Exactly. They knew what was up. Right. But and, we still, we have, don't like it. When a man does something like this, it's like we abhor it. We, well, we, it's really painful. Like you see that woman, like she even, you know, was saying like, I couldn't pull the heart off his name. Cause there was still this story that was alive for me. I wanted it to be real. Right. It, you know, it was in a way it was, it's like I've mentioned before with Liz, you know, there is this, story in me that still has life even though logically i recognize the chaos of it and and that's the thing with um romantic love like i'm not in a place where i want to let it go the idea of it completely there's still the piece of me who's like <clears throat> It's still possible. Maybe, you know, like in all this, I've thought a lot about this this week and I've watched myself, you know, and how my feelings go up and down as I think about arousal and stimulation and the perfect mate and love. And, and then what do you notice? Thinking, well, okay, here's another, you know, I notice the dopamine. Like I, I don't notice it as, oh, look, dopamine just got raised. <laughs> I notice, like, you know, oh, I feel good. I feel happy. The idea of that brings joy to me. Now, there's a couple of things I thought in all this. One, because part of this theme for our podcast is uh, online dating. And she even said, one of the girls, I forget which one, like, what a surface thing it is. It's just like swipe right, swipe left, like, I dismiss you. You're good. You're okay. It's such a knee jerk thing based on what like, but we would do it at a party. The digital realm just makes it that more accessible. It, I mean, I remember being at parties as a teenager or as a, in my twenties before Tinder and knowing right away when like a woman was not interested when she looked at me, like it's, it's, right. it's instinctive. It's part of our nature. But the women that I have ended up dating in my life were a part of my life. I think you and I spoke about this before. Like, yeah. You know, so there was some natural connection already involved right. in life. Right. And, um, and the other thing I was thinking about is the reality is if, if, partnering with like my experience with really being in relationship with someone monogamously over years, there's fights involved. There's headaches. There's like, Oh fuck. And that's not part of the romantic story. <laughs> you know, they live it's not, happily it's not ever after, of, except right. Tuesday morning when they woke up and had that big argument and she went off to work. Yeah, we don't see any many, very many Disney movies about the big argument, do we? Right. right. The nagging princess. <laughs> the dickhead prince. Yeah. But we see those. Well, the evil not, at the, not at the happily ever after. They've come right, around. That's true. There's never like the, the pile of princely laundry that the princess is cleaning up after, you know, they would never right. see that. Exactly. The There's never the dirty bathroom that the prince yeah. seems to ignore. There's, oh, fuck. Now we're dealing with that teenage angst that I never resolved when I was, you know, oh, shit, that fucking shit with my mom is <laughs> coming into this relationship. <laughs> yeah. It was like, so I was kind of thinking like on a, on our dating apps, what if we had that, you know, prone to daddy issues well what it i mean if people could get to that level of emotional intelligence they'd be more successful well there'd be yes i think you're right um i think what what dating apps have done is give us a lot more access to our avoidant tendencies we can just quickly go i don't need this shit i can find another person on tinder and now boom 
like no no reason to hang out and actually find out why the trigger went off and why I'm feeling uncomfortable. I can just ignore the feelings of discomfort and ghost them and then see how many swipe rights I can get. You know, what's interesting is I just had a meeting with a friend a few days ago. Like and we were we met to heal. Like we had gotten into argument and chaos with each other and and we just couldn't. Like we couldn't and part of it, like I remember I even said once during you know, I went, This is over. This is too painful. And I'm experiencing painful energy in me. And it and it's hard to be with, and I don't want to be with it. I want it to stop. And so being with this friend, and luckily we're still friends, like we have found a way through it, but that's not what he told me. Things, things get triggered. <laughs> things get triggered, you know? Yeah. And like, I don't want to be that person. I want to be this person. Right. <laughs> and, and I think that's part of that romantic ideal is finding the person who in won't their, trigger me. And they, we don't have to worry about these things ever I'm again. The perfect, perfect, yeah. I'm the perfect person. I've always wanted to be with this person. Well, see, there's layers to this there, because at 19 and 20, our concept of psychological makeup and all of these things is variable to a high degree, depending on what you're studying in college or whatever. But <clears throat> once you get to, you know, past your first major couple of relationships in your late twenties, early thirties, it starts to dawn on you that there's actually all these psychological configurations that might not work well together. And then with me having, you know, f- been married for 21 years and then being out of marriage at the age of 52 and then finding another partner at the age of 54, 53, who, I fight well with, <laughs> right? Who, who, um, <laughs> that's a great, that's a great, um, thing. I'm going to put that in. I'm looking for someone I fight well with. <laughs> well, and, and like, there's this emotional intelligence that where we do have difficulties, we talk about the, crap we're bringing from our uh, childhood and the, the wounding that comes from our parents and, and all of these issues. And we're no longer, it's no longer necessarily boils down to being mad about, you know, leaving the toilet seat up. It's like, there's this actual compassion and ability to empathize with. Right. And so I'm one of the things I'm super grateful for is the level of communication and skill in that communication. Right. And the other thing is, 98% of our life is cultivated gratitude and joy. And so when we do hit a rough spot, it's actually scarier for me because I'm like, oh, it's so good. I don't want it to end. I don't want this to be the thing that fucking breaks us up. But at the same time, it's also the invitation to go and talk about the thing that's really messing me up. And, um, you know, without getting into the details, the relationship dynamics are still there. We're still the same people we are. And so I am, I do the thing that I do when I get in that space and she does the thing that she does and gets in that space. And it's fucking scary for me, but, um, I don't experience her as scared about it. And that has to do with our attachment styles, right? And now we're talking about a theory, right? So bringing it back around to like this idea that short-term attachment styles work now because you can get more um, partners so much easier with dating apps that you don't really have to delve deep if you don't want to. You can continue to just go surface like up here about the, right? But there's that question of, well, are you going to end up at 60 with not feeling on a, a deep emotional connection. And who says that that's what you should feel like? What, right. What I'll say is I knew this guy that was friends with my mom and he was a committed bachelor and he 
lived fairly well, upper middle class in San Francisco. He was an engineer and an architect. And so he had the the sporty car and the, the golf lifestyle. And, you know, he was really clear with the women that he dated that he wasn't, you know, marriage material. And he kind of wore it as a badge of honor. And, and so I knew him for a long time. And then over time, as I saw him age and his options started diminishing, I, he, I started to recognize that his loneliness and he even copped to it. Now it was like he didn't, he couldn't replace that dopamine as easily with his status and his, his look, right? He actually had to find something to relate to of substance, but he hadn't, he hadn't cultivated it. He'd always avoided the depth of, of that intimate experience. And so it's not just an attachment style that has us worry about being old and alone. It's also a thing that if you really understand what intimacy can bring, the value of deep emotional connection, now you recognize like, oh, that's a precious thing because not everybody has a skill, blah, 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 blah. So where I'm at now is I'm like, oh, my God, not only does my girlfriend turn me on in an electric way whenever she kisses me. But her ability to discuss complex subjects from a completely different point of view than my own and just surprise me with a new idea or a new framework or a new, you know, revelation of how I think for, and then the same with her on my end, like we, that polarity of those differences, it's such a joy to have a, the variety of all those new experiences, the surprises every time she finds out, you know, this or that about how I think, and I find out this or that about her, her, I think that's a big part of it, you know? And so we're generating all of that swipe, right variety within the context of our own relationship and depth. That does remind me of uh, when I hear Tony Robbins and his wife speak of their relationship and how to keep the um, <clears throat> romance alive and the passion alive. And I think they've been married over 20 years now. It's a daily choice they make. And <clears throat> I've heard her, I think, yeah, her name's Sage. I've heard her say that she's learned when she gets into a place where she's starting to think fucking Tony, you fucking big loud son of a bitch. I wish you'd just shut up. She's like able to check herself and go, Oh, I am out of alignment with myself. This it isn't about Tony. It's about her. And she's able to go to him and go, Hey, you know, I'm out of alignment. I need some time. Or I just, you know, have a question. Like they've learned. Right. Like they've learned how to take responsibility for their shadow. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. So that I think is a powerfully romantic idea that I have in my hopes of meeting someone who really we are aligned in that kind of processing and goals for our life. Conscious relating. Conscious relating. And yeah. And, um, and a hundred percent responsibility of self. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, it's interesting. Like again, last night in the house here, someone had their feelings hurt and there's this element of that's life. We're going to hurt feelings. Like I've talked with you about this girl I was dating last year and how she doesn't want it. She told me to fuck off. You know, right. like, don't yeah, we talked about that on the last podcast. Right, right, right. So, you know, I'm thinking about this Tinder swindler and here's this person that to the best of my ability, I was, you know, but I love sex and there was an opportunity for sex. So I probably definitely allowed myself to sway in ways that weren't a hundred percent. And I so say do you that mean your discernment swayed and you were momentarily lured in and you knew kind of the, the deep emotional commitment that you want or connection you want wasn't going to be available that you'd settled for the sex for the moment. Right. And I could, and I tell myself in the moment, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this really is it. 
but you know, I had, but I can honestly say that I was to the best of my ability. I was honest, but here's what I'm saying. Even with all that in her eyes, I'm a Tinder swindler. Like I, you know, you I, don't know the details. I don't know the details, but yes, this individual, her takeaway is fuck you. You broke my heart and I don't want anything to ever do with you ever again. Yeah. 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 So, so what, what is important about bringing that up, up again? Because uh, someone's feelings were hurt last night where I live. And, and I was kind of thinking how that's part of life. Like we're going to hurt someone's feelings and we're going to have our feelings hurt. That's kind of part of life. <laughs> and, um, To be, like you say, like when that happens, to be able to take responsibility for it and communicate with the individual without them being the cause. They didn't hurt my feelings. Like they're not the reason my feelings are, you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally get this. Yeah. Which is a tricky bit of business, right? Because well, it takes a lot of self awareness, right? We have to learn that we're ultimately responsible for our own experience, which is, you know, a lot of people don't have the. You you say that to someone, and they're like, "Yeah, right." So my boyfriend cheats on me, and it's on me, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And not. I really admired these women in this documentary because they are paying off their debt none of them declared bankruptcy. Like I thought for sure one, I was like, that's a, uh, that's a declare bankruptcy situation. You know, she's not doing it. And I also look at what kind of society do we live in where this fucking guy, he got arrested. He he didn't get tried for any of the scams he did. Instead, we did it was time a, for fraud, but before the timing of this, that's what's so weird. He was no, in jail. Right. For- right. But I talked about this last time where these three women nail him. They nailed him for, um, I think it was a passport thing. Like he's, he did not serve time for scamming these women out of he, money. Four months, I heard. Not for scamming the women out of money. Oh, it was for and, something else? Yeah, I think it was like for a false name on a passport or something like that. Or. Right. So basically, it's not illegal to convince people to send you money and take out loans. Right. Then that was part of what came out of this. And so here's these women years later, still paying off this debt, still suffering. This fucking guy came out of jail and just jumped back right into the same lifestyle. Well, I think the documentary probably paid some of their debts, too. I don't know. I would like in the podcast, they're still paying debts. And the podcast mm. came after the documentary. Hmm. I don't think, from my experience of documentaries, there's not a whole lot of money to be thrown around. Yeah. Like, I was actually surprised when they did that trip to uh, Israel and met with the Israeli police and tracked down where he lived. Because I was like, wow, that's, that's, you don't see that on a budget for a documentary very often. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it just, yeah, it, it irks me that this fucking guy, you ever, did you ever see that Woody Allen So is that jealousy um, that you wish you could, or is it that he didn't? It's not jealousy. Yeah. That I did think about that and delve into that. It's not. Um, did you see that Woody Allen movie where, um, the guy kills his wife? And crimes and misdemeanors. I think that was what it was called. I don't remember. This is like in the I don't 80s. remember seeing it. Well, it ends with the guy talking to Woody. And Woody knows he killed his wife. And the guy's like, not saying I killed my wife, but he's essence. He's like basically just saying, and all of a sudden the guilt was gone. And I was gonna <laughs> get away with it. It was all gonna be okay. And I'm like, all right. And Woody's just fucking staring into the camera like, what the fucking life is this? Like, this fucking guy, 
is getting away with murder, literally, and living the life. And I have all these conflicts going on in these little minor infractions that are just weighing me down. So it's the same for this guy, the Tinder swindler. He's like, he's got a documentary. His face is everywhere. He's known for being this dude. And his, he's, he's like, I'm so glad I'm not in jail. And, and this is going to be great. Now I, I can have a, you know, like in some ways, this film had the reverse effect. He's actually going to benefit from his notoriety. Well, we'll see. You know, what I'm hoping is that this he didn't is have a Hollywood short-lived. agent before the movie. Right. Right. But what I'm hoping is this is a short lived, greedy peak and that this will die off. This won't have any longevity to it. It'll be like a two or three year thing. And then he'll be back to swindling women. Uh, oh, I what I hope is that um, some woman kills him. And then the next movie is about the murder of this guy. I don't think you can say that on our podcast. Right? <laughs> our producer just called in and said, hey, wait, wait, back that up. I almost oh, didn't I say it. I felt like I felt that like resistance coming over me. And I'm like, nope, we agreed to play full out. So I'm going to say this crazy thing yeah. and uh, see where it goes. But on a certain level, it's like, you know, what I want to see him in jail for the rest of his life. Like you just, I, I don't. If I this don't wasn't a real human and it was just a movie, the scene where she catches up with him and he is with another woman and she pops a cap in him. Like we'd all walk away feeling very satisfied about that. Well, here's another thing. I thought about one of my favorite movies is, um, to catch the thief, the new one with Pierce Bronson. Oh yeah. Cause I, I love that ending with the bowler hats and you know, the painting. Um, now he wasn't swindling women, but it is interesting how there's so many stories where the, the criminal is the hero of the story. Yeah. The anti-hero. Right. There was one I'm trying to remember now. I remember Tarantino talking about some movie and he thought it was brilliant because they really made, Oh, it was Joker. How at, by the end of Joker, when he shoots the talk show host, like you're cheering him and you're on his side. And it's such a clear cut psychological horror show. Like this guy's a monster. But we're on his side. And and Tarantino just thought that was such brilliant story creation to bring the audience to that place. I I wasn't on his side. Really? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> like when he shot the guy, were you like, yay? Or were you like, fuck? To me, that film was just like on one level in the days after I watched it. I was so enamored of the art, the the storytelling and the way that we had become empathetic to this deranged, murderous, psychopathic person that I, I felt a lot of complicated emotions. I can't say that I felt a lot of excitement about him shooting the talk show host on the show. Um, I was at that point, I was overwhelmed, right, with numbness. Um, because it was just all, it was all too much really. Um, but I think there's something here around the cultivation of charisma to such a high degree that it isn't necessary for it to be attuned to righteousness. If there's enough wealth, enough charisma, then it, triggers the dopamine and we're off to the races. And so that's why there's a lot enough blame to go around. We can blame the women for not being discerning enough, not to give any dude 35,000 or a hundred thousand dollars worth of borrowed money. Right. And then we can also be like, have our judgment about him for like running his lifestyle like that. 
but here's the thing. There are people in my life that I know 30,000 is nothing to them. And um, so if something happened, you know, like this guy, part of his con is he creates this element of risk in what he does from the day one. You know, my life is risky. I have my bodyguard. I'm always moving around and, you know, things. So when the dramatic thing happens that now he needs money and he needs help, it makes sense with the story that's been told. So I would can see how you in that, that position, you'd think, okay, this is hard for me, but I know he's good for it. And because like I said, there's people in my life who, if I could come up with 30,000 and they needed it, I'd give it to them knowing, you know, in my, I, right now, as I talk with you, I believe it wouldn't be an issue. They would get it back to me without any problem. Okay. I hear that. And like, we want to believe that about people, right? And on one level, this film is damaging our, uh, willingness to take risks like that. Like this is a cautionary tale that you can take and like, let's just boil it down to like, most people aren't jet setters making hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars and can't like go get a loan for 35,000 to send to their derelict boyfriend. Right. So, but the way this plays out at the lower uh, economic levels is somebody borrows $500 and they're scamming the woman so they can get their new Nikes. Right. Right. Well, and it goes the other way too. Like I told you, I've had so many texts and calls and connections via social media where some fine girl like, Hey, do you like what you see? Uh, you're nice. Uh, and you're like, you know, you hear stories of dudes who, you know, give lots of money to some girl who loves them. And then that girl disappears. Okay. And, and so we'll tie that in somehow. That it's a two-way street. This is everyone. The, the con of love is deep and rich and powerful. And we all want to be loved. And ultimately, I think you and I are in full agreement. If I say love ultimately is what life is. It is what, you know, that is our prime goal. So this is a cautionary tale of how money and love get tied up together and how we're all um, vulnerable to our longings for love. And I mean, every romantic story of, you know, of unrequited love or, you know, romantic betrayal or even murder, which is, I guess, 96% crimes of passion, right? Like it's all tied up with this, this thing that was need we're trying to fill. Right. Right. This, and it's not just, it's dopamine, but it's more than that. Right. It's like, it's all of these other things. And so what is it? What is it that we're trying to fill? It sounds like that's the shadow of what it is really. And that we haven't really figured out what the real miracle of love right. is. Right. Exactly. Like in Course in Miracles, it even says we think that we're showing love with, you know, these trinkets and worthless junk. That's not love. And um, and we were just talking about Valentine's Day and how much commerce is tied up in that day. Right. And, and this is just another film about that love of about commerce of, of, you know, tit for tat, literally like he's <laughs> took me out for a beautiful hotel stay and was going to, and now, you know, I'm going to give him money all for this feeling of belonging and having found. And it's the context is weird because I think the, the male female dynamics are interesting because with the, a man who finds the woman who's sexually rich, based on his desire and for the woman who finds a man who's economically productively provider wise wealthy which is the thing that she longs for right i mean i'm not shaming either of these two things but they're both this kind of like it's a lack mentality like i want to have the most possible in order to compensate for 
you know, the, the, the basic contexts of our life. And then if we get into the everlasting love aspects, which in a way to me, the vows of marriage really are, you know, for better or worse, richer or poor, you're really saying you're going to go through this life journey with this individual. And sometimes that journey fucking sucks. Challenges happen. And if our love is based solely on the physical, well, what happens if an accident comes up and, you know, and actually right around Valentine's day, there was a slew of TikToks showing up. There's my addiction. You know, if you'd see like the husband and wife and there's one that comes to mind and she was in this horrible auto accident and she was taking the first steps after you know two years of therapy and operations and stuff and they're both so moved he's moved you know like you can see he's been there in the trenches with her going through it and that is a part of that romantic love that we want someone who's like they say ride or die Right. You know, who's in it? The noble devotion of a human being to another. Right. Right. Makes us so fragile and subject to manipulation. Yes. Yes. And so the answer is. Don't trust anyone. Don't love anyone and keep all your money. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's it. (laughs) If you can't buy it, it's not real. (laughs) I just want to say, I do not believe that in on any level, but it was the funniest thing I could think of at the moment. I think that you uh, take away from the humor when you start putting your footnotes in. (laughs) Okay, you're right. Don't back off it. Go hard. Go strong. Let's admit it. If you can't buy it, it's not real. Yeah, well, I, I, there's no way I could buy the love of the woman I'm with right now. There's, there's nothing I can do. The thing that has it work is I show up for myself, which is really weird because I spent a long time in my life trying to be the guy that would get the thing that would have me feel that need fulfilled. And as soon as I drop that and I actually become focused on fulfilling my own need for myself, then this amazing relationship shows up because there's no uh, dependency in it. There's no promises either. Like we are not married, but I feel (laughs) married. Well, it's not even a question. Like, I don't expect to wake up uh, in 2023 and being like, I don't want to be here anymore. Now, it could happen. It could happen for her. Right. She's like, you know, and, you know, when I had my issue at Christmas where my brain threw a a horseshoe and I couldn't remember anything, (laughs) I heard her tell the story to other people. And and what she said was. Well, I was thinking I might have to sell the house and that the two of us go live cheaply, like on a beach somewhere in Mexico. So it wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to dump this guy because it's going to be a big trial and too much effort. It's like I'm going to get rid of all my worldly possessions in order to create the wealth I would need in order to manage the life with him in his new state. And I was like, who needs a fucking ring? Like, I didn't ask her the question, but that's the story she told. And I was like, wow, like and that made me think like, okay, if suddenly she became fully disabled, would I match that? And the truth is, I mean, when I look at her and I laugh with her, I know I could continue to do that. Like as long as she can laugh, um, you know, I mean, I hate to even think of it. I hope that's not, doesn't, I don't ever have to face this choice and not, you know, like I, there's a, I've seen all kinds of stories of people who get, who are devoted through a physical physiological challenge and, and they end up finding a new way of loving together. And then there's Mm -hmm. the ones where it's too much for the partner and they bail and they can't deal. And I don't, I don't feel fault for that. Right. I do. I think uh, that just gets my goat. 
gets my goat. Where's your uh, compassion for them? There isn't any. Right. Where's their compassion for the person they married? Okay. Yeah. Well, um, I think it's an interesting problem. And I hope, you know, I don't have to actually find out the answer for myself about what I would do. Uh, I like you know, to think my of myself sisters, as one way. Well, my two sisters have said things about their marriage to me that I think are really important to a, 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 a positive partnership. One said, well, you get through the hard stuff and it's even better having gone through it. It's, you know, so that's why you want to stick with it and get through that fire. That's challenge. And the other told me she makes all her choices for the best of the family. So as life choices come up for her, her decisions are based on what's best for the family, not what's best for me. And so do you resent your ex-wife for that reason? Because it, she thought she, what she was doing wasn't that she didn't take into account the impact on the family. I, don't, I think I'm no, I don't think I have resentment. Um, there's still pain involved, but I think that has more to do with, the way her and her lover at the time went about what they did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't think I have, I think resentment would be ridiculous because I was such an equal part in the whole thing. You right. Know? You co-created it with them. I wasn't innocent. Yeah. Yeah. So resentment would be ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Be like you and I walking into a paint store, buying a blue can of paint, painting a car, and me going, I fucking hate blue the whole time. This is your fault. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is it Joan Jett whose song is I Hate Myself for Loving, for loving You? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she has another good one. I think you and I talked about when Bodie and I saw her at yeah. Stern Grove and her and her partner, not romantic partner but band partner from yeah, her manager their, their new york manager and that they had the way they fight with each other is just yeah and they like, were kind of bickering she's like well here's a song that you know it's kind of about what's going on right now and i forget what it was but when you can find peace and joy in the way you are kind of uh uh you know going through an, an uncomfortable spot with each other. That's when the magic is because not only do you get the thing like, well, what's on the other side of that, which is great, the peace and serenity, but there's that feeling of trust when you enter into the conflict zone and you go, well, I'm having a conflict with someone who, with whom I expect and reasonably so because I have a history of demonstration of them actually being willing to navigate. And I think what happened with me when my marriage ended was that I, the big, tr- the thing that hurt the most was the idea that that I, that belief was no longer tenable, that I couldn't trust my own awareness of whether someone would stick in the trenches with me or not. And that was significantly um, discomforting because I lost a sense of my own uh, trust in myself. Like if, how could I not see this coming? And I think that's true for um, the women in the Tinder swindler is they, they end up feeling bad about themselves. Like how could I fall for such a scam? How, how come I didn't know in the moment? Yeah. But here, you know, what's really cool though, is the two women who did the story in the newspaper. And then the third one, she actually didn't get scammed as badly because she saw that article. And she and then she started going, wait a second, going like, oh, I got that message too. Like the exact Well, and then she becomes the the main way that they get they they track him down, right? Right. She plays she plays a role. Right. Yeah. In in seducing him into to getting his, you know, and you know, and then the one friend is like selling his his Yves Saint Laurent and all of his stuff to try and recoup some of the her losses and Right. 
When you saw that, did, did you have any thoughts of going on eBay and see if there's designer clothing for cheap? No, because I, I, I hate designer clothing. <laughs> I've never wanted to have branded stuff except for one thing. Um, and that's the Grateful Dead. That saddens me. Well, it used to be true when I was a teenager, I would like save my money so I could get the new pair of Adidas sneakers. And, and I had took a lot of pride in it. Like I remember at one point I would wash them if they got any dust on them at all. And that lasted about a month and a half. And then they finally, they got, you know how with, with, uh, you know, white, eventually the white leather just cracks and there's no, yeah. it's not that there's dirt. There's just no right. way of getting it off. And I'm like, Oh, right. We're done. Time for a new pair of sneakers. Recording stopped. <laughs>